Yeah, about that. Bragg will answer. He'll just clearly take his own sweet time in doing so. I'm Ondine. Somewhere in the foothills of Farinorian, hope is kindled once again. Finally, for the 101st time. Yes, it is uh, episode 101, A Space Odyssey. Welcome back to Light the Beacons, the only Lotro podcast that dares to say... Did anybody miss me or notice I was gone? This is episode number 101. We are having fun, and I am your host, Bragg of the Lonely Mountain, the Sultan of Shieldswipe, the Earl of Agro, Banisher of Ill Omens, and Dwarf of Ill Repute, broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ, far from Ferrothelion, in the Vale of Imlad Morgul. And here I stand uh, atop a parapet uh, at uh west or just west of Ashad Yuil. There's a trusty ranger uh on his knee staring out over the vale just to my side. As I peer up the mountainside on the left, the dark coal like chalky mountainside, I can see the evil light of the Tower of Minas Morgul shining out over the landscape. Uh, as I pan down my view I can see an effervescence rising from the the uh, characteristic pointy turrets of Mordor with spikes sticking in every direction. The upper walls are a darker milky stone. Uh, as we get down to the base wall, the towers are dark black blocks, dark as coal. Uh, similar to the colorations of Minas Tirith, its sister city, I can see the uh, there's a waterfall tumbling down. The landscape on my left-hand side emptying into the uh, river of the Morgul Vale, which kind of cuts its way through a deep ravine in the center of the landscape. I can just see a bridge crossing uh, below my feet and a wooden bridge crossing over to the, uh, to the north, uh, bridging the side over to the steps of Kirith Ungol. And, uh, hey, the landscape is cool. Once again, I'm going to hold more commentary on the both the aesthetics and the playability of the expansion in Minas Morgul until my next episode. I've got a lot of stuff to catch up on. I don't have time to get into all the little cracks and nooks and crannies. This is like an English muffin here I'm dealing with. Um, this is episode number one. I already said that. Ah, uh, gosh, I owe a little bit of an explanation regarding my absence, I guess. So, I guess after episode 100, I was just generally taking a bit of a break for a few weeks, um, intending to come back. But as it turns out, just as I was about to fire up the beacons again, I started doing some consulting projects for a new client in the south. Uh, let's call it Dunland, who appreciated my expertise in, uh, let's call it dwarven architecture. Uh, so, south of Dunland, I had to travel there on a weekly basis for much of the time I was on break over the last eight to nine months. Uh, this was a very busy client with some tight deadlines having to be met by the new year, and I had to hire on a lot of other dwarves to help from all over the place, and getting them all in place and getting everything organized and set up and moving was very hectic for quite some time. Um, so... It's good to be busy every now and again to cure you of complacency, but still, uh, glad that things seem to be calming down, at least for a little bit. And uh, as it turns out, I, I have heard the pleas 
And I wouldn't call them pleas. I would call them uh, perhaps the musings of other Twitter users uh, from my community asking now and again, uh, why, how long will the beacons be dark? And uh, will they ever be lit again? Or have they collapsed into the... Uh, uh, into the foothills of the uh, of the mountains here in far Norian. and uh, I wondered myself for a while if I would be coming back and but I in episode 100 I admitted that uh, I was considering stopping the podcast but that I knew I would miss it and it turns out I did miss it just not as much as I thought I would no not enough to overcome the busy uh, season that I had so um, that's a long way of explaining that uh, I do miss podcasting. I'm exciting to be having a new episode out. I don't know how frequently I'll be podcasting going forward. It's going to be as schedule allows while my travel schedule uh, to the <clears throat> south of Dumlin continues. Uh, but uh, I am hoping that I will can return with at least some level of consistency and normalcy and bring you guys the hijinks, shenanigans, uh, malarkey, and other... Um, crazy madcap antics that you're used to from such as me hopefully with a little bit of knowledge about the game and what's going on with it of late uh you know i think at the end of the day it really came down to well uh, i can either stop podcasting or i can stop playing lotro i haven't got time to do both and without playing lotro i don't have a podcast so that was a pretty easy decision to make so i have been playing the game quite a bit i'll get down to that in a little bit right now we have so much time and so little to do wait Stop that. Reverse it. We better move on to our second beacon. And that's one beacon down after nine months out. I'm a little rusty. Please give me a break. But uh, we're moving on. Well, there's got to be somewhere. No, that's, no, that's not it. Hey, it's got to be here somewhere. Grandma, where's my beacon lighting sound? There it is. Aha, we're off to Elanok. The last episode was so long ago, I can't remember who I offended, but to anyone that was generally upset at my extended sabbatical, or uh, anyone who even experienced mild ennui, uh, I am truly and heartfeltly sorry. Uh, viewer comments, let's agree to disagree on that one. It's too early to get back into that already. Uh, iTunes reviews, let's check the leaderboard. Last review of the podcast was left by FunkyUs81 on April 5th of 2019, and he currently has our high score. If you want to join this Mumakil conga line, please leave us a random number of stars in iTunes or Google Play. Or, alternatively, if you use a promise stone in the tall tower of Minas Morgul and levy a series of curses and uncurses to make it blink a Morse code message out over the landscape, your entreaties will reach my welcome ears. Uh, viewer feedback. Well, I want to thank Braxwolf and others that uh, dinged me over the last few months about the potential for a return. As it turns out, um, the last time I heard from Braxwolf, I responded and said if 20 people will respond to this thread, uh, the next episode of Like the Beacons 101 will return. And dutifully, Braxwolf put out the call and uh, there was a random conglomeration. I think it was a spam bot mostly, but we got to 20 somehow. So uh, there were at least 20 people that wanted to just enjoy the schadenfreude of making someone else endure the pain and effort of producing a podcast. And here I am to, uh, to entertain them and to uh, make true their deepest fantasies. 
Uh, from a community spotlight perspective, Lotro Players is just cranking right along. I've heard that Shipwreck, formerly of the Beneath Your Feet podcast, was considering returning to do some class roundtables, which are always welcome. It's been a few years, and obviously classes have all gone through a polished pass during that time frame. Uh, what's going on in the forums? I could not tell you. I have not even a whiff of the forums in many months, and uh, to tell you the truth, I have not missed them. What I have missed is some level of community engagement from SSG. Not enjoying the new schedule for the producer's letter following from last year, which seems to be whenever they dang feel like it, maybe by March if you are lucky. So, you know, right now I think we're at another inflection point as we typically are at this time of year. There are a lot of directions this game could go now with Minus Morgul released and a lot of loose story ends. You know, a lot of story ends that were closed and wrapped up by the Black Book, uh, but not all of them. And they could really build some anticipation from the player base with very little effort. I mean, it's not like the producer's letter in past years have had that many huge spoilers or hard commitments. Uh, they've been very careful about what they've announced. You know, it's usually something like, uh, we might do something to the east uh, sometime over the next 6 to 12 months, and it could involve uh, dwarves. And, uh, you know, it's not... <laughs> I mean, really, it's it's getting pretty nebulous. So, you know, but there's usually at least a few tantalizing clues that are thrown out. And we're not getting many of those. You know, I haven't been tuning in to... Uh, if they're still even doing the weekly podcast uh, with, um, gosh, the community manager. His name escapes me right now. But uh, yeah, I'm sure it'll come to me again as I get uh, enraptured in all these different details. But, um, you know, again, I think given the amount of detail they normally provide, they have to have that level by now. And if they do, they could share it in, you know, second to third week of January like we used to in the midst of winter to give us a little bit of anticipation. Anyway, I digress. In this week's action-packed episode, we are going to talk a little bit what we've been doing in-game these past nine months and if that's not enough, we should review last year's predictions while perhaps providing some for the year ahead. Lastly, if there is any time remaining, we will try to save it for another episode? Question mark, exclamation point, question mark. But if we want to have time for that, we better get moving on to the third beacon of... Nardal. This last nine months in gaming and or other Tokian news. So I can't remember everything I've done in the last nine months, but I can tell you that a lot of it has been playing Spider-Man for the PS4. Uh, I think I've talked about it before as a game I was very much enjoying. I, I still think even nine months ago I had started uh, playing the game and was maybe, you know, a third or halfway through the playthrough. I have since 100%ed uh, the main game as well as all the DLC that follows after it. And, uh, you know, I don't 100% a lot of games, so I have to like a game to want to 100% it. It's easy to get through the end of story mode and quit, but uh, I persisted. Most of the 100% is doing all the different challenges, the tasks, the photos, and uh, just cleaning up a lot of crime around the city, which enables you to do a heck of a lot of web swinging. So I think I got almost all the outfits for Spider-Man but two. You know, this was, I have to say this was an amazing game. Uh, combat is well balanced between feeling like you have control and still having it kind of automatically do a bunch of really cool stuff. Um, you know, you can customize your combat with different uh, 
benefits you can add based on suits that you've earned. My favorite was always the web bomb, which makes you spin in a circle and basically web up everybody within 10 feet of you into a giant cocoon. Um, perfect for crowd control and when you're being overwhelmed by a wave of attackers. And uh, the suit unlocks for Spider-Man are very cool. There's a wide variety of different ones in the game. Some of them funny, some of them you know futuristic. Basically, every uniform you've ever seen in in the history of the comic books pretty much has a version that's out there that you can earn through doing different tasks or trading in different kinds of currency that you earn by going around the city and and doing your job. Um, Judicious use of gadgets is key. All the gadgets that Spider-Man ever had in his web shooters or his utility belt and then some are available. And a lot of them do make the combat a heck of a lot easier. You know, for me, the challenge level was just right. I, I could succeed most of the time, but it was never a guarantee. And when I was taking over a hideout, it might take a couple tries before I was able to clear out the hideout. Uh, if it was kind of on-level content or even stuff I was reaching a little bit for. Um, the main story is engaging. It's got lots of familiar characters, both good and uh, villain. And uh, just swinging around the city is its own reward. I, I actually feel like I know Manhattan better now than I used to. That's how good the game is in terms of representing the different neighborhoods and some of the key buildings and so forth. The, the voice acting is great, especially the guy that does J. Jonah Jameson, who usually, as you're swinging around the city, will pipe in on his, uh, his you know podcast or radio broadcast and complain about you. Um, I think the only complaint I have about the game is maybe the Peter Parker avatar. He looks kind of doofy, <laughs> but uh, it's easy to get around that. Just put your mask on and start swinging. Uh, I have a feeling that the follow-up that will be coming, for sure, given how much money they made with this game, will be potentially Miles Morales-focused because he's a key character in this game, just discovering his powers with Peter kind of mentoring and teaching him how to how to ramp up and, and given the success of the spider-man into the spider-verse movie uh this past two years uh i wouldn't be surprised at all if miles is the protagonist or maybe even if they have a co-op game where you can play with both of them potentially for team up in some cases so my teen dwarf has completed breath of the wild and is now playing luigi's mansion on the switch as well as a 2d game called celeste which he downloaded after completing the hollow knight Seems to like these kind of 64-bit uh, 2D adventure games that have uh, a fair degree of depth and puzzle. I was uh, pretty surprised at how expansive the Hollow Knight world was and how difficult some of the challenges were. Um, reminded me a little bit of uh, Ori and the Blind, uh, Ori and the Blind Story and the Blind, something like that. Ori and the Blind, whatever uh, forest. And uh, except that's more of a 3D-ish type version where there's this Hollow Knight's definitely looks and feels more 64-bit. Um, aside from that, uh, been playing Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons. I've been playing Mowage um, with the young dwarves in the house, and we just recently completed our first campaign, The Mines of Fandelver. Uh, which is the base uh, module that comes with the new uh, five-level uh, rule set. So I was struggling looking at what adventure to start for our next campaign and uh, actually went to the RPG store and looked around at the games that were available with the new rule set. And instead of the old kind of uh, dungeon format where you had a folder wrapped around the instructions and or pictures for the dungeon, 
um, which was you know kind of paper based, uh, and uh, you know the new modules, uh, dungeon modules appear to all be like giant books, like a set of you know almost like the player's handbook or the dungeon master's guide used to be or the monster manual, and it's a big thick book, and I think they were going for like forty to fifty dollars, <laughs> and I was like. Oh my gosh, these things used to be uh, whatever they used to cost. But I, I don't know why they have to be so huge. I, I don't even want a big book like that for my dungeon. I'd rather have a easily foldable notebook where I can flip around and dog ear the pages and do all kinds of other stuff without worrying about ruining the binding. So I, I don't like the new format. I started looking online whether it's easy to adapt old dungeon modules to the new rule set because I have a stack of old dungeons that I never played back in the day and some that I wrote. And I've come to the conclusion that I can probably find some guidelines regarding that. And even if I can't, I can probably adjust the difficulty on the fly. You know, if the first monster they find wipes the floor with them, then, uh, you know, a couple of them will die and I'll scale it back a little. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I think I can fine-tune it. And uh, I have found a dungeon um, from, I don't even know what rule set it was, probably two or three uh, that I think I can adapt uh, to latch onto the minds of Fandelver based on the way I ended the campaign. And it is the Shrine of Tomoishin, which is the next up for the Young Dwarves in the house. So we'll see when we get that fired up. Hopefully this summer, perhaps, or even spring bake. It kind of depends on how the schedules align. But uh, it was a lot of fun, and we're looking forward to moving forward with, uh, with this little game that we're playing. Um... Uh, so anyway, now that I've finished Spider-Man PS4, I'm ready to take on a new PS4 or even PS3 game. Uh, I don't like leaving games unfinished. Uh, we used to have a Wii that broke, and over the Christmas holidays I was able to find a refurbished Wii for a reasonable price. Um, I was kind of bummed that we would lose all the saved games that we had on our old Wii, whose uh, disk drive stopped working. But... Uh, you know, handed to the young dwarf in the house. He uh, looked up some instructions and figured out how to copy the memory blocks over from the old Wii onto the new Wii uh, to preserve some of our saved games. So I will be looking to go back on the Wii and finish off the game Okami, which I started years ago and probably had tied up at about 75% completion uh, or even or more maybe when, uh, when our Wii kicked out. So I'm looking forward to finishing the Wii game Okami, which has been ported to multiple platforms and is a interesting, stylized, Asian um, kind of uh, RPG adventure game that, that I do recommend. Uh, I want to finally finish Bioshock on the PS3. And my question to you out there is, should I go on to Bioshock Infinite? Have any of you played Bioshock Infinite? Do you recommend it? I've heard it's a big step up from Bioshock, and it was a big deal when it first came out. I got a cheap version a long time ago, trying to decide whether I should continue that series. Or maybe move on to Monster Hunter, or Skyrim, or The Witcher, or Drake's Fortune, or Horizon Zero Dawn, or Red Dead Redemption, or... My goodness, you get the idea. We've got quite a stack. Let's move on to movies and TV. The Oscars were last night, and Parasite took the big prize. Spoiler alert. Uh, it was the movie I was rooting for out of all those that were uh, that were on the slate of Best Picture nominees. I've also seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 1917, Marriage Story, um, a few of the other... Uh, 
Best in Picture nominees. My personal favorite movie of the year that I wish had been nominated that didn't seem to get quite the same attention was The Lighthouse, starring Robert Pattinson and um, uh, and William Defoe. And uh, you know, I understand why it didn't. It's not for everybody. It's uh, you know, definitely kind of a avant-garde, auteur-ish, independent type movie, but I thought it was beautifully filmed uh, from a cinematography standpoint and uh, uh, new and different in a way that I enjoyed, almost like a Hitchcockian type, you know, uh, and Peter Lovecraftian influences both, if you can cross those two and imagine what you get out of the bottom of that. So I do highly recommend The Lighthouse. Uh, what's coming up in movies? Uh, you know, there should be some cool stuff coming in 2020. The first thing that comes to mind is Black Widow, which is on the horizon in April. And uh, hopefully that should be fun, especially with um, uh, David Hopper coming over from Stranger, Stranger Things. I am sure he will be a riot in this role. Uh, from a book standpoint, I think last time we talked, I was still reading Tolkien's Finished Tales. Well, the Finished Tales are finished a long time ago. Uh, I just finished, uh, I forgot what I've written in between, but I just finished Good Omens, which was made into a TV series on Netflix starring David Tennant uh, as, uh, as a devil overlooking the apocalypse with a lighthearted viewpoint. And uh, I'll probably be re-watching that series again now that I've finished the book. It was the series that got me to read the book, and now the book has uh, got me excited to go back and read the series after I've read the book to appreciate it more. I am looking to move on to another book I have not yet selected at this point in time. So, let's get back to Lotro. Oh, that's right. I forgot that's what this podcast is about. Uh, there's a producer's letter in the offing over the next few weeks, supposedly, hopefully before March. And uh, Rohan is coming in February to the legendary servers. As a matter of fact, it is due to premiere Wednesday of this week, so only two days away. Uh, I imagine with the usual polish pass that they've done, and uh, from all accounts, from what I heard, a new Rohan housing area, although I'm not sure if that's coming out with the initial release or if it will be slightly delayed. Uh, My question is, why do I need that when I am the Thane of Hitbolt? I mean, housing in Rohan should be free for me. I'm a Thane. I own my own village. I think anyone who has become the Thane of Hitbolt should automatically get a free house in Rohan. Am I wrong? Come on. So, uh, one thing from a legendary standpoint I'm not thrilled about uh, with Rohan's premiere would be the Instance Cluster. So, we've been in the Isengard Cluster for a long time, and I thought that one was a pretty solid one. Uh, the Forges is one of my favorite six-mans, and the Tower of Isengard is a, is a nice raid with a lot of different wings and the Pinnacle Uh, which was a lot of fun on Tier 1 to run through and very challenging on Tier 2. For the Rohan Instance Cluster, we did the uh, Lonely Mountain Cluster. I forget, but I think that's what it was called, something like that. You know, the three mans were okay. Uh, Goblin Town, the Eagle's Airy was probably my favorite one out of the the three, and the other one was, the I think, the Spiders of the uh, Scuttledells. Uh, which was always a little weird because the web and the at the end was hard to see. Uh, so it was kind of difficult unless you just dragged the spider off the web, which was seemed to be the, I don't know if that's a um, 
don't know if that's considered a uh, you know an actual legit strategy or not, but that's what most of the people I've seen do. Um, but the raids themselves, which will probably be engaged in from a raiding perspective, uh, you know, is the twin titan trolls, um, the door of Erebor. There's the uh, the fighting off of the Easterlings over the um, the stream, and uh, the most difficult and probably maddening instance in I think probably all of raiding, which is the smoke dragon uh, that you're trying to close down the fire grim as he's pumping smoke into the mountain. Uh, and uh, that one I, I only ever finished, I think, maybe once or twice, well over-leveled with a really organized group. Uh, never been pugged in, in my history, at least. So, you know, not looking forward to those necessarily. I guess the trolls were okay. You know, people were grinding those for the little gems that you could put in your rings, or they were flowers or gems that you could put into your rings down at Snowborn to get uh, kind of the best rings in class. And... Uh, Probably Bells of Dale might be my favorite instance out of the ones that are coming. The six-man was decent. Uh, the initial troll fight was really challenging, typically, and uh, you know the the challenge at the end underneath the bells weren't too ridiculous. Um, will they dare to do a polish pass on mounted combat when Rohan comes out? I am guessing no. At least nothing substantial. I wouldn't imagine uh, they probably have the people that put that tech down still on staff and. And, uh, you know, might be afraid of uh, making it worse instead of better. I've never been as down on mounted combat as a lot of other people. I think in most circumstances it's workable and in some cases can even be fun. Uh, but the fact that it was never developed, uh, you know, and broken stuff didn't get fixed or, or balanced, you know, did make it more difficult to stomach over time. Uh, so what have I been doing in-game with my characters? Brag is, is, of course, level 130. He's completed all the Minus Mortal content, including all the deeds. Um, and now is, you know, grinding solo instances day-to-day. -day. I've run a few Tier 1s or 2 tiers here and there, but not much. And I haven't tried the new Six-Mans that have come out over the last couple weeks yet either. So I'm actually, I am looking forward to doing those. I just, uh, haven't had as much time to raid. Um... I've got my allies maxed. One of the things you remember when you bring your character up to level 130 is that you'll get uh, automatic new tiers in your ally. So just uh, apply some XP runes right right away as you log in after 120 uh, and uh, get those maxed as much as possible. Um, I had to, there were additional earnable tiers as well, which means a lot more scrolls of empowerment. So I searched through my barterer's bag and I figured out that I had 390 gift givers brands. <laughs> from doing roving threats, uh, probably in Mordor scourges, I would imagine, and uh, I was able to trade those in for 39 scrolls of empowerment and Dull Amroth, uh, which enabled Bragg as well as one of my other tunes, my um, Minstrel, to basically max out their allies at the current level, uh, which does make a big difference. Uh, I also, uh, once I leveled up my metal smithing, was able to. To craft kind of the best craftable current shields for Bragg as well as my mini. And uh, the other character that I've leveled to 130 at this point is my mini. Um, she did uh, okay in Minas Morgul with the mob density. Uh, had to use I used a lot of flops and distractions. 
just because uh, there's so much back and forth questing on the different levels of Minas Morgul. Go get this, go get that. And every time you do, you have to run through the whole gauntlet of foes on that level. So, I mean, it was just much faster to get on a horse, run till your horse knocked off, and then run until your healing was about done, and then find a corner and flop, right? And then you're near your objective, fight your way to it, and then uh, when you get it, ride your horse back, get knocked off your horse, run as far as you can healing yourself, and then, you know, be free, basically, at that point. So, uh, did a lot of flapping, flopping, did a lot of music of distraction with groups of mobs and some of the, the, the uh, busier areas. Um, with more DPS, in a lot of cases, it was faster uh, on the landscape areas around Minas Morgul, especially. In the dense quarters with lots of mobs and within Minas Morgul itself, no, it was not faster because with my tank, I could scoop up five or six at a time and burn them all down at once, whereas uh, with Minstrel, I had to be a bit more surgical so as not to get overwhelmed. My Minstrel also healed a few Rathacast Six Mans, which is the first uh, boss from the... Uh, Throne of the Dread Terror Raid. Um, she At level 130, they were doing the runs, and I was healing it at level 125 to 127 because they couldn't find another minstrel. Um, so, and was able to do so successfully and got you know the, uh, the rep currency you get out of those, uh, which you can trade in and miss Tirith for additional scrolls of empowerment. So that was actually worth doing uh but uh the last time i tried it all of a sudden it was much more difficult so i'm not sure if that was uh my group or if that was uh you know the fact that they whenever they uh come out with an you know a level increase <laughs> they tweak the difficulty on Rathacast because I, I don't think they want it just farmed where people do that and leave, do that and leave over and over again really quickly. That's one of the reasons, obviously, why they have locks on it, but I, I don't think they want it to be too easy. So typically when it first comes out, it's easy and people run it, and then they tweak it, and it gets really hard, and then people slack off because running it as a six-man, if you're not overleveled, uh, can, be, can be difficult now from what I've seen. Uh, but I got my Minstrels allies maxed uh, from the leftover Gift Givers brands I talked about and uh, got her cooking up to Minnesota level because what I have found in the new uh, content is there is a big jump in consumables, things like food, scrolls, and um, especially Athlas and Celebrant uh, can make a huge difference if you've got the latest and greatest stuff versus even the Anvil level stuff coming out of the Iron Fold. Uh, so get leveled up with your food, scrolls, and Athlas especially as quickly as you can. I mean, my mini right now is 150k morale, which is not a lot, but it's decent. And uh, I think the minute the Athlas potions are up to 99,000 morale, something along those lines. So two-thirds of a full heal out of an Athlas potion as opposed to the last tier, I think, only had 20 or 35,000, somewhere in there, depending on what you had. Uh, my Cappy. So normally I would be leveling my Cappy and my Loremaster in front of my Minstrel, but the fact is I've been playing Cappy and Loremaster a lot on the Legendary servers, so on Landrival I leveled my Garden Mini first instead. So my Cappy is still sitting, I think, at almost level 121. He's completed the Veils of Anduin and Black Book content. He's poised for Minas Morgul. He may be the next character I throw in there, but I'm not sure yet. His allies are halfway to the next level. I've got some scrolls to get him, and I've got to figure out if I want to play him next. Uh, my lore master has also completed what I call Veils of Anduin Light. 
uh, not draining the zone, but just going through enough to get the uh, class trade points that are available there. And moving forward, the core story. And uh, got his scholaring up so I could uh, produce municipal scrolls of uh, battle and warding. My Berg is still level 120 and also has completed Vale's Light. His weapon smithing needs some work, uh, but I haven't really needed anybody with uh, weapon smithing uh, that I've been leveling as of yet, so that's part of the reason. Uh, I think I might do my Berg next, because I don't know if I'm going to run every tune through Minas Morgul, but uh, since I play Cappy and Loremaster on the Legendary servers, I, I, I don't play Berg there. Uh, well, I've got a new Berg, but that's a story for another day. Um, but I think Berg might be fun to play in this instance because of the density of the mobs in, in, in Minas Morgul again. Uh, being able to sneak through the camps and get to the objectives and move around freely uh, within the tower itself, I think would uh, make for a very different play experience and might be more fun. So I'll consider that. My hunter is on level 118 in Arid Mithrin, uh, but has maxed her Ithil forestry and woodworking skills. My Bjorning is at level 109. And finished up Udun and Mordor is working, uh, moving on to Dingarth. And uh, Bjornings appear to be, from what I can tell at Endcap, Bjornings appear to be in a good place right now as healers or tanks. So it's tempting to push my Bjorning up to Cap. He's, you know, he's within shouting distance that a couple weeks I could probably get him up there and play him at that level if I wanted to. So it's something I'm thinking about. We'll see. My champion is at level 76. Uh, I think the, the last time we spoke, uh, he was well below that. I pushed him to 75 and opened uh, the Dragok instance, then stalled when Vale's Vanjuin came out, and I went back to my cap level characters. Um, so I do have a story about my champ that I wanted to relate. He was doing the Enidwaith content and following the epic quest line to Nars Peak, as I'm sure most of you are familiar with. There's an instance in the epic quest line where they're trying to uncover the mysteries in the depths of Nar's Peak. And you get all the ingredients for the formula which makes Nar clear enough that he can communicate with you. And he says he's going to tell you a story about uh, Nona's brother um, that visited him. And they went down into the caverns. And uh, you go down there with Nona and I think Elodin, one of the one of the sons of Elrond. I think it's Elodin, and you're trying to figure out what happened to uh, Nona's brother. And you find a, a giant Drake that's been killed, and you figure out that you know he might have found his courage and you know built his legacy by by slaying the Drake. And that's kind of the turning point where Nona, you know, gets inspired to avenge him and you know becomes a main character in the epic storyline. So I I've been through that instance probably. I'm guessing eight to ten times, uh, something along those lines. And, um, you know, when you start the instance, you're like at the top of the staircase and you go down, you follow Eldon and Nona, and you go down to the levels until you see like all the waterworks and gears underneath. And just for once, I was like, you know, I wonder where the entrance to this tunnel is uh, within Nars Peak because it doesn't tell you where, where you find those tunnels. So, just on a lark, I decided to turn around and go up the stairs instead of down. Something I've never done before. And I went up a few levels, and I got to a level, you know, where I couldn't get by. There was an invisible barrier, kind of, uh, you know, that would take you out of the instance. But 
when I got to the top level, I almost freaked out. Okay, walking around at the top of the tunnel at the highest level is the ghost shifty figure of Saruman. So you may remember in Rohan, uh, and even in, I think in portions of the Great River and in Fangorn, the shifty little figure of Saruman starts appearing here and there, you know, kind of Gandalf looking, and but you don't know exactly what he is, and he's got a shifting shape, and it's creepy, and you're like, oh, who's that? He's meddling with all the communities surrounding Isengard. He is in this instance at the top level, just walking around, kind of checking out what's going on, and I had... I. I, I don't know if anyone else has ever found this before. You know, people do crazy stuff. People do boundary checking and, you know, investigate every inch of every instance. So I'm sure someone else has seen it before, but I have never heard anyone mention that you can find Saruman walking around in Nars Peak in this instance. So I discovered something I think very few people have ever seen. So next time you do that instance, you're sending someone through Nars Peak. Instead of going down, walk up, see if you can find Saruman, sorry, but walking around, spooking everybody in Nars Peak, uh, because we know he was involved in ensorceling the dwarf, and now we have physical proof of it. And I just wonder if the uh, the dev that put him in there thought that was clever, and if wondered if anyone would ever find him. So there's my um, did you know for the week coming back. Uh, let me see. My RK is 61. It's been doing basically festivals and tailoring, but his minutes ithil tailoring is maxed. My warden has been idle, except for festivals, at level 43. Uh, although coming up on class quests and Moria for a warden, I don't even know like more than like three or four gambits. I mean, when I play him, I just button push. If I ever gotten a serious content with him, it would be trouble. But... He's close enough to Moria that maybe I'll get him in there at some point. Who knows? Uh, my Elf Warden is also level 20 and parked basically for level 20 skirms and or Great Barrow runs, of which I have done very little. On the legendary server of Andor, uh, my Guard Brag is only level 25. Is currently questing in the Lowlands, is at Oxgaruth, and has been basically lying dormant because what happened was, as I joined the legendary servers, I quickly came upon a kin that I joined, which I think I probably related back uh, before my break. And uh, the kin is a very large one with several hundred members, uh, usually close to max, although they do purge the rolls every couple weeks or every couple months. And uh, it's called There and Back Again, or T-A-B-A, -A, um, which, you know, they're pretty vocal about recruiting typically. So I've, I've had kin, many kins in the past. I've been in kins that weren't very active. I've been in kins that never pugged or raided. I've uh, been in kins that were organized and did some of those things. Um, this kin has what I've been looking for for some time, which appears to be a very positive community. Not saying there's no drama. There's always drama, especially when you get hundreds of people together. But it is very well run, and they have, I think, either four or five raid teams that run uh, once a week. Uh, so you can sign up for your choice of time slot and or to be an alternate if you like uh, raiding. So four to five active raid teams on a weekly basis, and they also do run lower level content as well. So uh, my raid group that I joined was actually in need of support figures more than tanks, healers, or DPS. So I leveled my captain, Brohim. Uh, I think he was 35 when last we spoke. He's at 75 and cap on the legendary server. Uh, so basically, you know, did everything from level 35 on down to Dunland and is 
you know, parked at the Ox Merchant Clamp Camp, and then uh, I also decided just to have one other choice for raiding in case uh, we had enough captains. I leveled a lore master, uh, basically from I think level one to seventy one to seventy five since last we spoke. I uh, put a, definitely put a rush order on him, and have him decently geared and uh, was able to run you know uh, Isengard content with him. I've never run raid level content with uh, lore master seriously before, so that's been a good experience as well. So uh, the problem with having level cap characters now in the legendary server is, you know, since I have five or six on the regular server, that means every time uh, an expansion comes out in either one, I've got a lot of gearing up to do if I actually want to run instances with raids with either or the other. So I want to keep the legendary server experience. Uh, I want to keep it lean and mean. But I did create one more character there. Uh, I decided I did want to make a stout axe uh, just to get the starter instance experience. And since I had a choice of doing it on either server and I already had a Berg on Landreville, I created a stout axe Berg, which is the only uh, which is the only um, race that was able, you know, dwarves were never able to be burglars. So it was the one combo that didn't exist in the game prior to the stout axe's premiere. Um, so I did level a Stout Axe Burglar on the Anor server, and he's now level 30 and questing in the North Downs, Even Dim, Troll Shaws, back and forth kind of a thing, maybe Gartha Garwin. And I'm considering leveling him, which would enable me in raids to basically bring any support that's needed, uh, Captain LM uh, or, uh, or Berg. So... Uh, I'm enjoying the leveling experience or the raiding experience uh, with raids that I already know pretty well from running them over level and or on level back in the day. Uh, you know, my familiarity with raids really only started to fall off with the mortar raids. Uh, the Abyss of Mordath and the Anvil are two raids I actually have never gotten 100% of the way through. I've gotten about two-thirds to three-quarters through both of them. Um, but I am looking forward to do them on the legendary server over the next year or two uh, with a you know patient group that is well blended and is used to working together and has a good community. So it's been a very good experience for me doing that there. Uh, in other Tolkien news, uh, I did watch the Tolkien biopic over the last six months and although I found it somewhat flawed and a little slow in parts, I did like the way they bledged, they blended some of the fantasy of Tolkien's imagination with the horrors of World War uh, World War II. It was uh, very compelling from that perspective. Uh, and generally was interesting to see him, uh, some of his uh, early life detailed uh, in that fashion. Uh, and I've heard it's you know considered to be Fairly accurate, although no one's ever completely happy when those kinds of things are done. Uh, also, since uh, we last spoke, the death of Christopher Tolkien, who uh, I had mixed feelings about. Uh, I understand why he wanted to so strongly protect his work, and I appreciate forever him getting the Silmarillion and other stories like the Children of uh, Huron and Baron and Luthien out and published, which uh, probably never would have happened without his guidance and blessing. Um, I did think at a time when, uh, you know, when I was enjoying the Lord of the Rings movie so much, they meant so much to my family. They were so big, big a part of our lives for, you know, almost 
eight, nine, ten years, whatever it took for them all to come out, that he was so dead set against them and what they represented that he couldn't find even the positives about what was being done from Peter Jackson's interpretations. Um, you know, there, there basically were none from his perspective. So I understand where he's coming from and wanting to protect his father's work, but I also think the movies probably did more for, you know, the fame of Tolkien in a short period of time than, um, you know, than a, a lot of other things I've done over the years. Uh, you know, besides maybe, of course, the cartoon Hobbit, which is the greatest interpretation of Tolkien's work, you know, that was ever conducted. Uh, but uh, I, I do appreciate, again, all the contributions he made bringing Middle-earth to life. Never would have been the same without him. I'm wondering who's going to take on that role moving forward. If another of Tolkien's descendants is up to the task uh, from a scholarly standpoint, or if it will be uh, just taken over by the corporations that, uh, that have split the rights for the various... Uh, properties over the years anyway that is what i've been doing for about nine months of load i probably had a lot more detail in there i could have provided but i've forgotten it all and i think we better move on to our next beacon before i forget how yes i can see that we're already going to be running long in our first episode back so much to cover well let's talk let's talk predictions okay someone mentioned hey you gotta at least come back and talk about your predictions from last year and he's right that's normally a january activity here it is february 10th so let's get the and i'd like to get this out before the producer's letter comes to show that i had no assistance in coming up with what i'm sure is going to be a hundred percent accurate slate of predictions for 2020 but first let's go through last year's predictions for 2019 First of all, we had number 10. Karaskar sets up shop in the abandoned Orthanc and turns it into a Tower of Rust. Okay, so that didn't happen. Instead, he turned into a little whiny baby. I want the book. I want the book. I want it. I want it. Fine. And uh, just stomped off, left his mask, left his mask and went home to the east. Number 9. Floyd and DeWitt are caught red-handed in a sting operation as the masterminds of a Middle-Earth-wide drug smuggling cartel... By the way, yes, a sting operation is any bounder special task force that uses Bilbo and Frodo's legendary glowing sword to light the way on their raid. Uh, so there's no signs of Floyd and DeWitt east of Rohan, unfortunately. Perhaps they will return again soon to perch atop the shattered cone of Mount Doom. Uh, number eight, the 64-bit client debuts in 2019, causing war spans to rubber band forward by 20 to 30 meters a clip in anticipation of the direction you appear to be heading. Development work begins immediately to design a new 48-bit client to split the difference. Okay, so this jury is still out on the 64-bit client stuff. I go back and forth with running it or not running it. I seem to crash just about as often either way. Uh, I'm not sure if it actually helped with client crashes or not or if they're still tinkering with it. Uh, but it does sometimes cause some weird graphic BS when I toggle away from the game and back. So I've been foregoing it for now. Um... You know, I do understand that only 64-bit you know, operating systems are supported going forward. At some point, you had to come out with this client. So glad they got it done. I, I think I was hoping for a little bit more of an impact on my crashes. Uh, but I'm not sure that's ever going to happen until I get a new laptop and video card. So, so I'm going to give myself an A- minus on that one. Uh, number seven, Daybreak Publishers in a brilliant stroke of strategy, decides to increase revenues by delivering superior quality products that are highly sought out by their customers rather than to continue to lay off employees and push loot boxes in the store. 
Well, uh, mixed bag on this one. The workforce seems to be stabilized, but who knows the real story unless it hits the press. We don't usually see it. Uh, Lotro keeps chugging now, along for now at least. Uh, I'll give myself a B plus. Number six, Mount Gundabad debuts in the game featuring a minecart roller coaster weaving around, over, and through the mountain that can be hid that can be ridden during festivals for ten mithril coins a ride. SSG revenue skyrocket. All right, all I can say is there's a missed opportunity here. Perhaps uh, hindsight will be 2020 and we'll see this this year. Number five, new Tier 4 difficulty raids and instances premiere in game to satisfy hardcore players tired of easy mode, but they still complain that the same rewards can be earned by running 10,000 Winter Home Festival quests. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this actually happened. A+. Plus. Number four, during the Minas Morgul expansion, Mordrith slips through our fingers yet again and sets up camp in the South Farting in the Shire under the guise of a brigand boss named Krabby who is eventually stabbed in the back by a scullery maid, Nona. I don't know what pipeweed I was smoking when I came up with this one. Still, uh, have we heard the last of Nona? Hmm. Number three. Legendary weapons are overhauled and simplified for the masses, leading to a few basic tiers of proficiency, low, medium, and high, with a very high tier only achievable through the application of 2,112 Scrolls of Empowerment. So I think I nailed the Scrolls of Empowerment requirements on this one. Uh, so I'm going to call it good. That's a, an A. Number two, towards the end of the year, we turn our attention east to the lands of the Easterlings and the Great Sea of Run. Only those who have achieved the highest reputation level in Habnanigans, which is the national sport there, will be allowed into the Citadel. I still like this one. I really wish they would do it. Can you imagine the crowds that would be flocking to the Habnanigans field when the expansion came out? <laughs> it would be hilarious. Uh, it still come, could come through, and I will be ready, because I am once again maxed with all factions in the game, on brag, for a reputation standpoint. And the number one prediction I had for 2019, really going out on a limb with this one, I am predicting a Shelob raid in 2019. Oh my gosh, really? Somehow they found a way to slip this through our fingers one more frigging time. I am furious, and when I am furious... I move on to the fifth beacon of Minrimon. Now for the original weekly sponsor segment. This show has been brought to you by the OxyClean Laundry Detergent from the Ox Clan of Dumblin. The Ox Clan's OxyClean will get your ox cloak smelling like ox cloves in no time. So when you think clean, think OxyClan clean. Note the Ox Clan fully endorses the Ox Clan Pod Challenge for those they enjoy a good barrel brie now and again clearing out their insides. OxClan, OxyClean. Moving on to the sixth beacon of Had, always my favorite. The 2020 predictions, hot off the presses. Here we go. Number 10, SSG will introduce six to eight new Gurgiel in 2020 without resolving the storylines of any of the current protagonists, including Barangos, Orodani, Lareth, Karazgar, Shalab, etc., etc., etc. Number nine, the next game expansion will feature Mortar BC instead of Besieged, featuring the new Stoutax Caveman class, as well as various new dinosaur species like the Nazgulosaurus. Number eight, 
Figments, moats, and embers will be consolidated in an upcoming release into Bitcoins, which will only fit into the new BitBarterer's wallet available from the Lotro store. Number seven, festival instances will continue to be premiered, including the new Farmer's Fair three-man instance where Shire farmers are paid not to harvest crops in order to receive government subsidies and kickbacks in the form of marks and medallions. Number six, the new Rohan housing development will unfortunately be located in the Pass of the Dead to avoid spoiling the wide open fields of the east and west Mnets. Uh, property values will plummet. Number five, PVMP will finally get some love this year in the form of a plus 2.5% adjustment to the DPS of a minor and mostly unused Warg bleed dot. Also, some resource nodes in Yenton Morris that were occasionally being obscured, obscured by reeds a few hundred yards behind Tirith Raw were given a stern talking to and now should be fully visible and accessible. Furthermore, the name of a signature mob in the Delving of Fror, Vergrostenak, has been updated to the correct spelling of Vargrostenek. You're welcome. Number four, both Gundabad and Harad will premiere in the game in 2020. The Harad expansion will be named Hip Hip Harad, and the signature package will cost $199, but comes with birthday candles and a cake. Number three, the wedding of Aragon and Arwen and Domiel will indefinitely be delayed due to reconcilable differences with Aragon's prospective in-laws and their preoccupation with libraries, and the introduction of an unexpected prenup. Number two, the scouring of the Shire will appear in 2020 as a new offensive skirmish involving a lot of scrubbing and washing of various brigand graffitis around important Hobbit landmarks before time runs out and Sharky escapes. And number one, there will be absolutely no Shelob raid in 2020. You have fooled me for the last time. I'm not falling it for again. My prediction, no Shelob raid in 2020. And with that, let's move on to the sweet, sweet beacon of Halifarian. We have run out of time. Winter has come. It is February, and it is cold out. I can feel the Misty Mountains and the Forkel and the Wildermore all up in here. Uh, it's time for Blessed Relief, though. I'm officially declaring the 101st episode of Light the Beacons done and dusted after all this time. As always, I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique. For those of you who don't think I have a pop filter and don't think I have a good microphone, I do. I just don't know how to use them very well. You can contact me at Bragg, son of Balan. That's Bragg with two A's. The second A stands for About Time. On Facebook or Twitter at Bragg, son of Balan, or my website at LightTheBeacons.com, where you can post comments directly on the podcast. I kind of request you to take the time to create an iTunes review like FunkyS081 did. If perchance you're so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. If your comments incite me to forsake my legendary Dwarven Empathy, which has uh, obviously uh, been emphasized over time, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So once again, I hope you laughed either at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. Most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth. This is Bragg, the son of Balan, reminding you that if it ain't Baruch, don't fix it. And remember, the next time a stout axe goth dwarf sets up camp crashing on the futon in your basement, don't despair. Just like the beacons. And thanks, everybody. It's good to be back.